together. I've got to just uh, make a little correction there. I don't have it all together. Uh, I have had some experience, but uh, don't have it all together. But uh, God is helping us. Amen. We uh, uh, are going to see what God can do. I was thinking, I'm going to give this man on the front row here a book. Nice job, eh? You already are a motivational leader. That's going to just clarify a couple of things there for you. Uh, uh, good man on the front row. And uh, the rest of you, well, just too bad. Amen. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, my plan is to be available from now until uh, uh, quarter to nine. And so if you're going to think of a question, you've got to have it asked and answered before a quarter to nine and then people obviously have to fellowship drink a coffee and so forth get back to uh, where they've driven from so Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1 through 4 uh, uh, while we're beginning uh, how many here have got three children put your hand up three children or more three or more to wrap in the air three or more children okay keep it up if you've got four or more all right Keep it up if you've got five or more. Five or more. All right. Come and get a book. How many have you got? Five? All right. Come and get a book. Come and get a book. This is a highly recommended book. If you haven't got that, you're a parent, and you haven't got that book, you're a fool. And so uh, I say generically, like across the board, but uh, that's a great book to have. That book there by Dobson, The Strong-Willed Child, uh, and uh, the book by Dobson, Dare to Discipline. If you don't have that, uh, well done. Bless you. And uh, Dobson, The Dare to Discipline. All right, that's the new Dare to Discipline. If you have, don't have those two books, you're a parent, take down the name Dobson, uh, Dare to Discipline and Dobson, The Strong-Willed Child. You cannot go past reading those two books. And what I'm going to teach you tonight is not anything compared to the reading of the book, all of the material there, and that will be a blessing to your life. Well done. All right. I'll get it back for me after the service. All right. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's go to the Word of God. Uh, tonight, Pastor gave a little bit of a, a rundown of, uh, of my uh, situation. Uh, my son David, my firstborn son David, was born. Uh, we lived in Bunbury. We lived uh, just uh, probably about uh, about uh, two or three kilometres from the Bunbury Hospital, and uh, we'd had a car accident. Someone had run into my car. We put it in for to the uh, to the panel beaters to get fixed, and so uh, we actually when uh, Anne went into labour that night, our car was in the panel beaters, uh, and so I made her walk from home. Uh, uh, actually a long Bustle Highway. It was a little interesting situation because Bustle Highway actually had a brick wall next to it. And then the driveways went through the brick wall. Uh, and so we, we walked along Bustle Highway. It's about 3 a.m. in the morning. Uh, but any time a car came along, I made a run up the driveways to get off the road uh, uh, and avoid the trucks. And so we walked from home to the hospital. Uh, and uh, I remember having my, my firstborn son. And uh, I remember thinking when he left home at 19. And I thought to myself, where did those 19 years go? Walking along Bustle Highway, uh, 
giving birth to a son there in the Bunbury Regional Hospital. Uh, and I thought to myself, where did those 19 years go? Because time flies. Can you say amen? Anybody that has children, that, that time flies by. Uh, and I thought to myself that, uh, you know, in the 19 years before, between him leaving home, uh, every interaction that I'd had, all the various uh, uh, perhaps confrontations, every meal time, every school uh, getting off to school, coming home from school, uh, every school report, every teacher uh, interview that we had, every attempt that we had at a family devotion, every uh, discipline that I had placed on him. Uh, and then at 19 years of age, he's leaving home. Uh, and I thought to myself, this is the end product of any investment that I've made in his life. And as the pastor said, he's now 33 years of age. Uh, and uh, he has to live with the investment I've made in his life uh, and the question when he left home was and obviously when his brothers left home uh, uh, just not long after that uh, the question was is it a good product it's the end product of my investment is it a good product uh, then his granddaughter my first grandchild was born and so now the cycle is repeating itself the product that is my son is now going to take all of that information and deposit it in his firstborn, my first grandchild, and obviously another generation to examine the product of the product. And then obviously as Cassie grows up to being of age, gets married, the product of the product of the product. And you really can only measure the ability or the quality of the product which is your children, not just by them, but by their children's, their children's children. And Paul speaks about to, to Timothy, uh, uh, to the fourth generation. So every parent, and the reason we're having this seminar is every parent uh, at some point has to come to grips with the product of their parenting the children that you're producing, the kinds of kids, the kinds of adults that they become, uh, and perhaps the greatest influence you will ever have in the world is not going to be by your secular employment. It's not necessarily even going to be by your involvement in a local church. Your greatest legacy is going to be the people that you have personally won to Jesus Christ and the children that you raise uh, to live for God. So I'm going to preach on the product tonight. And I'm going to go through this fairly quickly uh, without trying to blur the edges fairly quickly. And I want to leave plenty of time uh, for uh, questions at the end. And I would encourage you as I'm talking and as you're thinking about your children, your situation, your circumstance, uh, if you can think of questions, we're going to get some, uh, have some good questions and uh, hopefully some good answers. Let's read Ephesians 6, Verse 1 through 4, Paul writes and says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth, and you fathers. Say fathers. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Amen. Let's look first of all at the perception. I was reading about a Canadian couple who've named their new baby Storm. And they told the world that they're raising it as gender neutral. And whenever you hear this, it's a fruit loop. 
you're going to put your bizarre gender thing and have an experiment on this poor vulnerable child uh, because for sure and certain the parents philosophy about life is going to be transferred to that kid uh, and in one sense almost outside of intervention by God give it no hope in the earth when we raise boys and girls to be men and women let me say that just because they survive to 18 is not an achievement Amen, they're fairly resilient. God's made them resilient. Thank God for that. Can, can we say amen? But to make them genuine biblical representatives of their birth gender is going to take some effort. To raise young men up to be men of God and to raise young girls up to be women of God really is going to take some effort and it's going to take your best effort and your greatest concentration. There's an error to think that the way they turn out is mostly nature. And that is the idea of that, that somehow they're programmed by their genes to become certain types of people. And it's the error that people think, well, uh, you know, I was just, uh, it's in my genes to be homosexual. That's the biggest lie I've heard in, in recent times, that not, not, uh, uh, not, long, uh, not uh, far behind that we were raised from monkeys. I mean, we evolved from monkeys. Uh, uh, but never could, you know, people that say, well, here's my kid. I never could do anything with that boy or with that girl. When they say those kinds of things, they're saying there's something in the programming of their life uh, that makes them ungovernable, uh, and that's a lie from hell. That somehow they just can't be trained. Uh, amen. Can we just quickly say that gender identity, whether you're male or female, is in your genes, and research shows that most children, even those raised gender neutral, grow to identify with their birth gender and as heterosexual as time goes by because to be for boys to grow up as boys and heterosexual is in the genes. And girls to grow up as girls and be heterosexual is in the genes. But we make the mistake when we think that nature is the dominant force. Can I say to every parent, you are the dominant force. Don't ever think to yourself that somehow, you know, society and the, the New Zealand government and uh, uh, the school system and all that, kind of, that somehow this is the, that, that, that they are the dominant force. You are the dominant force. You are the driving force be, be behind the raising of those children. It's not nature, it is nurture. The idea that you are nurturing in them and that your influence will be, is, and should be the dominant force in their life. There are hundreds of Bible verses identifying your role as a parent, correctly raising your children, and they're not there for no reason. When the Bible puts the responsibility on your shoulders, those verses aren't there for no reason. The Bible is saying, listen, you are meant to be nurturing these children up to be men of God and women of God. God places that responsibility in your hands. In Proverbs 22, verse 6, Solomon says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The Amplified says, train up a child in the way that he should go and in keeping with his individual gift or bent. And when he is old, he shall not depart from it. A couple of things the Bible says in that verse. Number one is every child is an individual. 
And if you've had more than one child, you realize, how did, how did I have that child and that child? And they're so different. Because every child is an individual. Every child is unique. They have gifts, bents, tendencies, strengths, weaknesses. They're a combination of that, all of those kinds of things. And so every child is an individual. One is artistic. One is practical. One is a perfectionist. One is sloppy. One is athletic and coordinated. The other one can't hit their butt with both hands. And, uh, you know, you get the idea. And so every child is unique and an individual. And some of the mistakes that parents make over the years is to uh, uh, we use identical approaches with all the children. And never recognize, as Solomon writes in Proverbs 26, that every child has some unique qualities. And while the outcome is always going to be the same, you may have to use different methods and different strategies on each of the children in accordance with their unique tendencies, bents, and their gifts. The second mistake we make is we compare children to the other one. Why aren't you more like your studious brother? Why aren't you more like your industrious sister? And we begin to place things on our children uh, that is not good and not healthy for them. So number one, every child's an individual. And the second thing that text says in Proverbs 22, 6 is that every child can be trained. Say trained. Every child can be trained and raised up as a man and a woman of God. That's the Bible promise. You missed a good place to all say amen. And you do yourself and your child great harm if you don't embrace that truth. Proverbs 22, 6 says, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Uh, he's saying, you're going to train them up in such a way that when they're older, they're going to make their own decision to be converted, repent of sin, live for God, uh, and they won't depart from that for the rest of their lives. That's the aim of every parent. If you miss this, there are several consequences. One of those is you think that there's nothing I can do. Well, it's all nature, it's in them, they're that, just that kind of way, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, there's nothing that I could do. And if you take on the, the idea that there's nothing I can do to shape my children into young men and women of God, uh, then, uh, well, that's your prerogative, uh, but just stand back and watch the train wreck unfold. Amen. Watch carnal nature unfold. Watch the influence of society and the television and media and all these things take over and shape them because you've put your hands in the air and said, I can't shape them anyway. The second consequence is people that think I've tried the Bible approach and it doesn't work. This is the ignorance of the anti-smacking brigade. This is the, the ignorance of people who say, well, I don't want to, I don't want to, curb their creativity their creativity don't curb but their irresponsibility got to curb and uh people that you know somehow say that i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be too involved or i've tried the bible approach it just doesn't work amen imagine how silly that would sound in any other arena 
If the Bible says you can train them up, the Bible says fathers uh, uh, train them up. It says the, that's what the Bible says. Uh, imagine saying, well, the Bible approach doesn't work. My kids are off the rails. Imagine how stupid that would sound in any other arena. You know, I've tried the no sex before marriage uh, and it just doesn't work for me. You know, I gave it a crack, you know, it, but it's just, it's, just, it's just not for me. Well, it's insanity. I've tried the, you know, one man, one woman for life type of stuff. And just adultery is more in line with the way I'm heading, you know. Well, it's just ridiculous. And yet somehow Christian parents look at the Bible uh, and uh, discipline uh, and challenge uh, and training uh, and nurturing. Uh, and they say, well, I tried that and it doesn't work. <laughs> that wouldn't wash in any other Christian verse. And yet somehow... Uh, that's in their minds. Uh, amen. I've tried what the Bible says. You know, I've tried what the Bible says about not robbing banks, but, uh, you know, you know, what's a man supposed to do? Got to eat, you know. New Christians, young disciples, older saints, there's an aspect of your life right here. Free will is the dominant force in every circumstance you find yourself in. And mums and dads, God has given you the responsibility. He's given you a toolkit. He's given you perspectives. He's given you all of that stuff and says you will be the dominant force in your children's behavior, in their nurture, in the creating of their adult life. Don't ever give that up. There's a second thought. That's a couple of perspectives uh, I read about an endangered species. The number one endangered species in the world, they say, is the Amua leopard. And it's the world's rarest cat. There's only 40 left in Russia's Far East. Uh, and I want to challenge the idea that that's the number one endangered species. There's another endangered species. Uh, you may not have read about it. It's called Manus Biblicus. Manus Biblicus, the biblical male. Not just being male in the gender, but being a genuine Bible male. And the Bible doesn't treat manhood as neutral or with indifference. It says that your aim, men, and I'm putting some pressure on the men tonight in this area, is the aim for biblical men is to train up your children. In the way that they should go. And the Manus Biblicus, the biblical male, the biblical father, is in short supply. And I think in our generation has become almost an endangered species, at least in your friends across the ditch there in Australia, if not so here in New Zealand. Like all ambitions, like all goals, you need to have a clear focus, a mental vision or a goal about what child raising is going to be and you've got to think to yourself what exactly am I trying to achieve in training up my children if you don't have that the Bible says without a vision the people perish or they cast off restraint or they go astray and so if you don't have a clear strategy about what you're trying to accomplish in training up your children and you just choose some kind of a random approach there's no telling where that will end up the biblical, so the brilliant Renaissance artist Michelangelo was asked about the difficulties that he must have encountered in sculpting his masterpiece David. 
But he replied with an unassuming description of his creative process. He says, all you have to do is you take a big chunk of marble and a hammer and a chisel. Then you make up your mind what you're about to create. And then you chip off all the marble that doesn't look like David. What a beautiful picture of parenting. Is that God gives you in every child just a, a blank and the role of a parent is to systematically remove from them everything that doesn't look like a child of God. And cultivate those things that do. And just like Michelangelo's masterpiece, David, the statue David, what you'll end up with is a biblical man, a biblical woman. A couple of things the Bible says here. Number one is obey. Say obey. obey. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is not an outdated, outmoded, old-fashioned, antiquated term. It's a biblical term. And the idea is that for every child, you're, the parent's job is to make them obey. And the first thing is they've got to listen attentively in order to obey actively and instantly your job as a parent uh, is to have them obey your instructions uh, and part of that is that you are going to get them to listen attentively in order to obey actively and instantly a couple of things you're going to need number one and this is the basis of the, the whole process here uh, is you've got to know what are the age-appropriate boundaries that you're after? What kinds of things can I expect my children to understand and to do at each age? Three months, six months, one years, two years, five years, eight, ten, twelve, on the way it goes. What are the age-appropriate boundaries that I would want them to to be obedient to it and so uh, without that you just kind of just I don't know you just kind of just taking shots in the air what am I looking for what should they be able to do I often tell parents in Sydney when they're going to start with your young children uh, with with eating and sleeping and you, they say pastor what you do you mean you can tell your kids when to go to sleep And I said, well, actually, I can't. But I can make them lie down dead still with their eyes closed. <laughs> you can't make them go to sleep, but I can make them lie there, eyes closed, dead still anytime I want to. And flippantly, I could make them eat their shoes if I needed to. Just let that sink in a little bit. What are some age-appropriate behaviors that you're looking for in your children? When they're obviously young in the terms of months and even in the smaller years, it's not always a matter of a discussion. Uh, and you've got to somehow challenge them about those age-appropriate behaviors. But as the time goes by, and especially when they're you know, two and three and four years of age, it's an explanation. This is what you're going to do. This is what you're not going to do. And you make sure they understand what the boundaries are. This is what we're expecting. This is what we require. This is what we need. And you secure their agreement to what the boundaries are 
And then you set in place some rewards for obedience and some penalties for stepping outside the boundaries. We could put the microphone down. That's parenting right there. In every situation, in every circumstance, uh, uh, you know, their, their room, uh, their laundry, their school, their friends, their Bible reading, their attendance in church, uh, whether they sit down in the song service or stand up, uh, whatever, you're thinking through what, what should they be doing at this age? What should their approach be? You let them know that's what they're meant to be doing. And again, reward when they, when they obey. And you punish when they disobey and therefore you're guiding them into the right way to live their life. Uh, amen. And right there in a nutshell is parenting. You're shaping their will by a series of rewards and reprimands. I uh, often joke with some of the parents. Uh, you know, I'll walk into church and the kid is, you know, let me say the kid is one or two years of age and I'll go up to try and shake their hand or say g'day and the kid just won't shake my hand. Right there is a test, mum and dad. What's your natural response when the pastor, off, or pastor or somebody else offers their hand to say, oh, you know, g'day, how are you? And the parent goes, say to pastor. What's your natural response? They're tired. Bong, bong, wrong answer. They're shy. Bong, bong, wrong answer. Pastor's scary. Bong, bong. <laughs> wrong answer. What do you think? They're just being disobedient. And right, there's a test. I was at fellowship with a guy's, at a guy's house in Sydney, and uh, we're there, and um, his, kids, his kids, it's his house, it's the kids are there, and they're, they're playing around. And then uh, he said to the, to the kids, listen, don't play in the kitchen, I want you to play in the lounge room. So he said that. That's a valid boundary, can you say amen? And once you enunciate a valid boundary, then it's rewards and reprimands. It's, it's as simple as that. Otherwise, don't speak. And the kid didn't do it. Then he goes, come on, you know, go and play in the lounge room. We're trying to eat here. You're making too much noise, you know. Kids, not even, not, not even a hint of obedience. So I'm just sitting there, getting crankier by the second. And he, I mean, he said a third or a fourth time, this, this, nothing happened. And I said, listen, I can't stand this any longer. <laughs> I said, you are training them in instant disobedience. Your voice is background noise. There's not even a hint of them. They're, they're not moving towards the lounge room. They're not feigning obedience, just complete disobedience. I said, man, you're doing yourself. You're training them not to listen to you. At some point, you're going to say, don't go on the road. Don't go with that boy. Don't do it. And then there's this background noise. I said, from a young age, you're setting boundaries. And I said, if, you, if you're going to say, put that away, go there, do this. Don't say it unless you're going to follow through on it. 
And if you do say, you've got to follow through on it. You're getting them to obey. Don't say anything you're not willing to avoid. The second thing it speaks here is not just obey, but it says honor your father and your mother. So it's not just obedience. It's how they obey. It's saying that you can't obey and then hate your, you know, you can't get it away, then they hate you. You know, do it in such a way that you're not just getting obedience because in one sense you can, things you can do to make them obedient. But you've got to make them obedient and still respect and honor and value and love you. Otherwise you're working against yourself. That word honor means to value to prize and to respect it's not just obey your parents it's honoring your parents it's how they obey word for every christian is the reason that god gives you that responsibility is you want them to respect and value and obey your voice because at some point they're gonna have to make their own decision to put that onto god where they obey God's voice and they respect and value him. You're training them up in a conversion experience they'll have to have later on down the road. But if you just speak and nothing happens, they think that's the way God operates. Or if you get them to obey and they walk out and they kick the poor cat over the back fence and they you know, throw their back against the thing, well, at least they obeyed. Well, that's not probably not what we're looking for. Because at some point you want them to be converted Christians, uh, disciples in the kingdom of God, uh, not just standing up on the outside, but sitting on the inside. Uh, you want them obeying with honor. Let me just speak very quickly about training the trainer. Verse number four says, and you fathers, you fathers, if you're a father, put your hand up. If you're not a father, why are you here? <laughs> You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. The King James says the nurture. I like the word nurture. It says you dads are meant to be taking the senior role in the training up of the children. Now, I understand that there's a lot of the domestic duties that will be on the mother it says to the fathers, you can't just palm this off to her. And when the kids are, uh, are getting expelled from school, honey, what have you done? God doesn't give you a free pass. <laughs> he says, you dads, this is on your shoulders. Are we still happy tonight? And the two ways that we provoke our children to wrath, which the buzz is not to do, but the two ways that we do is hypocrisy and inconsistency. Hypocrisy is you say one thing and do another. Or as you present yourself as one type of person in one setting and a completely different person in another setting. And they say, oh, that's, that must be how you do life. <laughs> You say the right things to the right people, and you say the wrong things to the wrong people. That's the way you live life. That's, that's hypocrisy. And the second thing is inconsistency. If it's wrong this week, it's wrong next week, and it's wrong the next week after. 
and you can't set some boundaries in place and then allow them to get away with it as the weeks go by and then you reinforce it they're all confused and so you make them angry when you're when you're a hypocrite and you're inconsistent. Uh, I was talking to one teenager. He was struggling, blah, blah, blah. And I'm asking, why do you think you're struggling? He says, without making an excuse, he says, my father is all praise the Lord at church uh, and he's all blankety blank at home. That's a violation, mom and dad. He's all praise the Lord and Pastor, Pastor Walsh, what a great sermon, you know. Uh, pr- thank God for a man of God like you, you know. He gets in the car, that Pastor Walsh, what an idiot. What does he know? Uh, uh, you know, and the, ki- the kids are listening. They got big ears and long memories. Big ears and long memories. That word nurture, one of the Bible dictionaries says the whole training This is for the fathers. The whole training and education of children, which relates to the cultivation of mind and morals and employs for this purpose now commands and admonitions, now reproof and punishment. It also includes the training and the care of the body. And so here is Paul saying, inspired by the Holy Ghost, dads, this is your number one role. You ought to be leading the charge in this. Everything about the training of your children, the responsibility of the buck stops with you as opposed to leaving it up to mum. She's pulling her hair out uh, and uh, you're you're, you're, you're trying to pipe the kids down. I'm trying to to finish level five here of uh, Command and Conquer. Shut Shut those damn kids up, you know. This is more than smacking your kids when they tick you off. I'm talking about cultivation. I'm talking about constructive conversations. I'm talking about planting seeds. I'm talking about watering. I'm talking about nurturing, guiding along the pathway. That's nurture. Proverbs 22 says again, train up a child. That is the Hebrew word hanak. And it's a term related to the roof of the mouth. And they say the picture there, the Hebrew picture there is of a midwife who would dip her finger in a pool of crushed dates and then massage the palate and the gums of a newborn child to encourage their sucking instinct. And the Bible says that training up children is just like that. You're, you're massaging, you're coaxing, you're drawing out, you're leading into, you're guiding to encourage them to make their own decisions on down the road. What a picture. You're stimulating the child's natural instincts uh, to guide them towards what is best, uh, their best as, uh, appetites, uh, the inspiration and the coercion systematic it's sympathetic it's synergistic uh, all these things would I close one final thought and that's the product the product you'll do that it'll be the toughest thing you'll ever do if you have one child two children three these with four and five kids uh, it's the toughest thing you'll ever do is to find the 
inspiration, the energy, uh, the consistency, the lack of hypocrisy uh, to train them up. But in the end, like I said, when they're 18, 19, 20, they're going to leave home, and that's the product. It's like an offering you make to God. I've done my best now for nearly 20 years, uh, and this is the result of my best efforts. In New Jersey, there's an action water park that's been named the Class Action Water Park because of all the accidents that happened there. There are so many accidents at this water park that the city council had to buy new ambulances to keep up with the accidents. There's been five to ten accidents per day and six people have died at that water park. You know, are they dumb in New Jersey? What is going on here? <laughs> you know, uh, shut the thing down. It's clearly not working. I don't know what they've done, how it, but it's not working. If we looked at worldly ways of raising children, it's exactly the same. Just doesn't work. And your best hope, ladies and gentlemen, is the Bible. Your best hope at a good product is the Bible. When I was here preaching, I'm going to say it was about five years ago. I'm just going to estimate the time. I happened to be in a car and uh, we had an impact team here and I was driving in the car and I just, I don't know how or why, just almost a provident, I guess, providence, I guess. But I had the radio on, I don't know what station it was, and a, and a New Zealand guy called Larry Williams Anybody know Larry Williams on the radio? He's one of you guys, anyway. <laughs> and uh, he came on the radio. And I'm just kind of driving along wherever I was going. And he came on the radio and he was bringing a perspective on the no smacking law that was introduced here in 2007 in an attempt to decrease child abuse. And uh, it was very interesting because uh, he said that tragically, the no smacking law, instead of reducing child abuse, it has skyrocketed. He said, and I quote him, police statistics show there's been a 136% increase in physical abuse a 43% increase in sexual abuse, a 45% increase in neglect or ill treatment of children, and 71 child abuse deaths since the law was passed. He said, your child services have had more than 1 million notifications of abuse since 2007. He said, sadly, these shocking child abuse statistics don't surprise me at all. Listen to this statement. He says, criminalizing good parents for lightly smacking their kids was never going to address the underbelly of New Zealand society, feral parents. I'm <laughs> driving along. This guy came on and I said, man, that guy's got some, he's out there, you know. He was quoting studies, he was quoting statistics, he was quoting, it was about 10 years, I believe it was, after the law was introduced. And uh, when it comes to raising children, 
Our goal is not peace and quiet. Our goal is not primarily A's and B's at schools. We love those. Our aim is not to keep them out of jail, although that would be good. We're not simply raising them to make up their own minds. They'll do that no matter what you do. You're not raising them up to follow your goals and ambitions or you live your life vicariously through them. Our text says to train them up in the Lord. And that phrase, in the Lord, was used once for parents and once for the children. That when mum and dad make it their aim to, I'm going to be the best I can be in the Lord, and I'm going to train my children up as best I can to train them up in the Lord. That's the end game. Amen. The Bible says this is right. Say it's right. You know, the Greek word for right is right. <laughs> it says this is like, let's not talk, talk, beat around the bush. He says to train them up in the way that they should go, this is right. If you're a Christian, that ought to mean something to you. Number two, it says that it will go well with them. That their days may be long upon the earth, not just old, but quality lives. Amen. Our fellowship has many first generation leaders as a fellowship. Just bring in a bit of a discipleship arena. But our fellowship has many first-generation leaders, obviously Pastor Mitchell, Pastor Warner, uh, other guys that got saved in that arena, many first-generation. And then we're raising up second-generation leaders. And then we need another generation of third-generation leaders. And then fourth-generation leaders, should Jesus tarry. It's not enough just for that first level of leaders that got saved back in the 70s or 80s to be living for God. They've got to be able to transfer revival down to another generation and then to another generation and to another generation to, to measure the quality of the product at that level. And what is true in discipleship in a church is absolutely true in a family. All of you mums and dads, that you train up the next generation to live for God, live in the Lord, that they would train up the next generation to live for the Lord, and should Jesus tarry the next generation as well. Can you say amen? Let's give out a clap offering this evening.